0: We get to meet again, we get to sing, we get to study the word of the Lord together. Let's start with the singing. The first song is number 215, 215 in your hymnal, no, sorry, 216, 216, breathe on me breath of God.
1: Good morning. Good to see all of you here this morning. Thank you all for coming. So welcome to each each one of you. This past Wednesday was Ash Wednesday, which marked the beginning of Lent. And as many of you know, Lent is the first or the 40 days before Easter, not including Sundays. Having said that, the opening scripture that I've uh, chosen for this morning isn't really connected to Lent. Um, The conflict between Ukraine and Russia is on a lot of people's minds these days. And so I chose Psalm 46 for an opening scripture. And I chose it because it's a reminder to us during this time that God is in control and his ultimate victory is sure. So Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord. The desolations he has brought on the earth. Let's bow to pray. God, you are our ever-present help. And so we need not fear. And so we give you thanks for that. You are the creator of all. And all things are in your control. And God, we pray for peace between Russia and Ukraine and that you would cause the war between them to cease and that there would be no more bloodshed. Lord, we pray for safety for those who are caught in the conflict. We thank you, Lord, that you are an all-wise and all-knowing God who cares about each one of us and loves us. And Lord, as each of us go through life, we all have our own struggles and challenges. And when we go through those times, help us to be able to place our complete trust in you. Thank you, Lord, that we can know with assurance that you are God and you are with us. Thank you, God, for this time of worship. Thank you again for the freedom we have to gather to worship. And we thank you for your presence among us. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Ask Mark and Carol to lead us again in another song.
0: There is only one who is worthy of our glory, or who is worthy of our praise, and that is the Lord Almighty. Let us sing song number 180, Thine is the Glory. song is verse uh, song number 265 my Jesus I love thee let's stand up for this next one
1: just going to highlight a few things in our bulletin. Our missionaries for this week are Preston and Myra Wheeler, and in the hospital we have Dorothy Giesbrecht. And let's remember we have a membership meeting planned again for tomorrow evening, so we'd like to invite all of you to be there, to attend Uh, It's open to members and also those of you who attend our services regularly but are not yet members, you're welcome to be there as well. We want to continue the discussion we began last Monday uh, that came out of our Leading with Vision uh, workshops. So we'd like to hear your questions and comments tomorrow evening, so please uh, plan to attend. It begins at 7 o'clock. Ushers, if you're ready, call you forward. There's a couple of thank you notes in the bulletin. One to Mary Duick, and then also a couple. One or one from Eileen and Dave, and one from Ann Brown and her family. So please read those. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you again that you are God and there is no other. You are King of kings and Lord of lords, and we just thank you and praise you. God, as we enter this season of Lent, we thank you for Jesus. We Thank you that our sins are forgiven because he was willing to come to earth to suffer and then to die on a cross in our place. God, thank you for the assurance we have of eternal life with you when we place our trust in you. Thank you for your love and your care for us and your presence in our lives. Lord, we bring before you Dorothy Giesbrecht in the hospital and others who are dealing with health issues. And God, we pray for your hand of healing to be upon them. And we thank you for those like Eileen Dick who are making good recoveries. And, Lord, we ask also for your continued comfort for those from our congregation and also those from our community who are grieving the loss of a loved one. We thank you, Lord, for each of our missionaries. We pray for Preston and Myra. We ask for your continued blessing on their ministry as they connect with leaders in different parts of the world. And Lord, we thank you again for technology that has allowed them to do so during these times of restrictions. And we ask also your blessing on them as a couple and that you would continue to guide them as a family. We pray, Lord, for our membership meeting tomorrow and... As we spend time asking questions and discussing, we pray for your guiding hand on our church. That we would seek your will and not our own, which is often such a hard thing for us to do. Father, as Pastor Victor brings the message, grant him the words that you would have him say and give us ears to hear. And now as we have our offering, Lord, we ask your blessing on this offering, that you would help us to give back with joy a portion of that which you've given us. So we give you thanks for all these things and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: today is John chapter 3, but not all of it. It'll be John chapter 3, 1 to 17. Here we go. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. And no man can do these miracles except that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth, so is every one that is born of the Spirit." Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Thou art a master of Israel, and thou knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak what we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. This ends the reading of the word of God.
2: It's good to be with you again. I'm delighted to share with you some of the things I learned this week. <clears throat> the reason I chose the John 3 as a, as a reading for today, it's not because I'm going to preach on it specifically but because it demonstrates um, uh, some of the reasons why Jesus came to earth to walk among us and and teach us and save us. Jesus was about 30 years of age when he began his earthly ministry. And his ministry lasted about three years before he died of crucifixion. In those three years, Jesus gathered about a dozen men to train them, not about, exactly, a dozen men to train them in the ways of the kingdom, preparing these disciples to lead God's people and evangelize the world. Three years is not a long time to prepare spiritual infants for the most significant movement in the history of mankind. They didn't do it on their own, of course. It was Jesus building his church through them by the Holy Spirit he put in them. In the course of this discipleship training, there came a point where Jesus began to focus on the final task of his ministry. And in Luke 9, verse 51, we read, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He had his final work in mind. He knew that this day was on the horizon and it must have been obvious enough to Luke to take note of it. Suddenly there was an added focus to Jesus' ministry. In succeeding chapters, we come across reminders that Jesus was focused on making his way to Jerusalem Journeying toward Jerusalem, we read in thirteen twenty two of Luke, uh, and on the way to Jerusalem in Luke seventeen. And then in Luke eighteen Jesus said <clears throat> Excuse me, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. Jesus was focused on getting there to see the Scriptures fulfilled. In Luke 9:22, Jesus began to talk quite plainly to his disciples. He said, "The Son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised." As straightforward as that explanation sounds, somehow the disciples didn't understand what he was saying. Jesus said the very same thing to them about three times. And on one of those times, Luke recorded their response. He said, they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. I don't know about you, but I I find that oddly comforting. (laughs) Because I think... We've all read a passage a hundred times, and then all of a sudden, one day the light goes on, right? For the disciples, that aha moment came after the resurrection. Then they remembered. Another interesting thing about Jesus telling the twelve about his death is that it correlates with something we learned in men's Sunday school. And that is that God reveals to his servants, what he does before he does it. In Genesis 18, the Lord and two angels paid a visit to Abraham. And in verse 17 of that chapter, we get a look into God's private thoughts. When God says, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? And immediately after that, God tells Abraham that he's about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. So here in the gospels we see that Jesus like his father is telling the disciples what will happen before it happens. If any of us need a lesson in transparency, there it is. <laughs> Pretty good. So we could say that Jesus has shifted his focus. The statement in Luke 9:51 carries with it a sense of determination. He set his face to go to Jerusalem seems that Jesus suddenly narrowed his focus to move toward his final work. Not that he slacked off in training his disciples, but his final work moved from the back burner to the foreground. To accomplish his final work, Jesus had to go back to the city where he knew the leaders wanted to kill him. Even though, you know, it aligns with the plan quite well, you still need determination to walk into a place where people want to kill you, but even higher in his mind, Jesus was focused on carrying out the ultimate act of love, forgiveness and self sacrifice, which carried with it a profa- uh, profound eternal consequences. Clearly, there was a plan in place, and jesus intention was to carry it out it speaks of purpose jesus became human and came to earth with a purpose and that is what i want to explore this morning that purpose now it might surprise you to know that there are a number of statements of purpose in the bible for jesus becoming human and coming to earth and I gathered them up and kind of put, put them into categories so that hopefully we can remember them. And the first is this, to save people from their sin. We get that from Matthew one twenty-one, stated as clearly as that. When Joseph was thinking about divorcing Mary quietly, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. That's the task. There is a statement of purpose for the life of Jesus being made by an angel. But Jesus also made claims about his coming. In his own words, in John 3, Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. According to that statement, Jesus came to save the world. In Hebrews, his purpose is stated a little differently. It connects Jesus becoming human with his purpose for coming. Hebrews 2.17 says, He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now, we're all ready with a definition of propitiation, right?
0: (laughs) Has anybody anybody ever
2: used that word? Unless you're reading the Bible. Well, I'll help us out. To a... To propitiate is to appease, to satisfy God regarding the debt of, of our sin. So for Jesus to propitiate for our sins means that he did something that satisfied God in dealing with that debt. Does that make sense? Jesus had to become human to satisfy God the Father because in becoming human, he was able to empathize and show mercy to humans and as high priest he would offer the appropriate sacrifice for the debt of human sin and since Jesus himself was human he could do the ultimate and lay down his human life in place of ours to appease the father this pleased god so we can see that the purpose Of saving people from their sin was one reason that Jesus had to come. And that was accomplished through his death on the cross. That was the act of forgiveness for all time. The second category, which can hardly be separated from the first, is to give life. It's good to be saved from something, but we are also saved for something. In John 10, verses 7 to 10, Jesus talks about it. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came, here's his statement, that they may have life, and have it abundantly to be saved from sin is to have new life and Jesus came to give us that life if we go back to John 3.16 I'll highlight what I passed over before for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believed in him should not perish but have eternal life that's why he came not only do we have life, but we have eternal life. Physical death is merely a blip for the believer. It's for the unbeliever that death is a looming dread that never goes away. Believers have a glorious future where there is no more death or decay. At the beginning of John 17, where Jesus begins his high priestly prayer, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. It is the desire of the Father and the Son to give eternal life to those who believe. So that's the second category to give us life. And the first, was to save people from their sins. And these are reasons that we usually think of when we answer the question, you know, what was Jesus' purpose in coming to earth? <clears throat> A third category comes from Jesus' statement to Pontius Pilate. When Jesus and Pilate were talking in Pilate's headquarters, Jesus said to him, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Isn't that a statement for our time? We are seeing uh, well, I just read this saying yesterday, and we all know it, I'm sure, the first casualty of war is truth, and we are seeing that now in the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Putin has banned the words war and invasion from the Russian media and he's attempting to control the narrative that is broadcast to Russian people. If the media doesn't report news according to Putin's plan then their stories are labeled as misinformation and that offense is now punishable by a 15-year prison sentence. Sounds kind of familiar almost not the prison sentence, but controlling a narrative. Even the narrative of COVID has been so controlled that we are left wondering sometimes what is true. What is true? But truth not only suffers in the news, it also suffers in morality. What's a proper moral code for the 21st century? The world has worked hard to push God out of society along with the moral code that comes with him. People feel free to create their own morality and they mess with it all the time. In Canada, it's supposedly moral (coughs) to allow a woman to kill her baby. But it is immoral to suggest that that is murder. How's that? In the realm of the spiritual world, (coughs) it is acceptable to choose choose to worship any God you want, but it is not acceptable to believe that Jesus is the only way to God. That is called hate speech. Did you know that? In fact, I saw a headline recently that said, uh, the Finnish government, so the government in Finland, Finnish government puts Christianity on trial, calls the Bible hate speech. You might want to stay tuned to that one. That will probably take off like wildfire. More and more, it is critical for us to be thinkers. We need to think about what we see and hear, discerning discerning these things, because deception is all around, and Satan is as willing as ever to lead us all away from God and truth. In 1 John 5:20 the apostle wrote And we all sorry and we know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true Isn't that comforting that we may know him who is true And we are in him who is true in his son Jesus Christ He is the true God and eternal life The more we read our Bibles and discuss the scriptures, the more we will be anchored in Christ and we will recognize lies when we hear them. Bearing witness to the truth is another reason why Jesus came to earth. When Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem, he was on the way to supply evidence that he is the truth and the resurrection would be that evidence. A fourth category for why Jesus became human and walked among us is to prepare for judgment. <clears throat> now you might think that that contradicts John 3:17 which says that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. And you're right, he did not. He did not come to condemn But listen to John 9, verse 39. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world. We don't read that verse very much. For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Well, what exactly does that mean? After Jesus had been through some unrepentant cities, he exclaimed, I thank you Father Lord of heaven and earth that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes Father for such was your gracious will. Jesus was praising the Father because truth revealed to those who don't have it and are open to it are the ones who receive it and understand it. But those who are wise in their own eyes and think that they have no need to be instructed in the truth are the ones that go blind. So when Jesus speaks truth, he is preparing the world for judgment because those who belong to him are finding the truth and those who are opposed to him Do not understand it even when they hear it. Preparing for judgment. Another passage that uh, focuses in this direction and is a bit of a jolt to read is Matthew 10 at verse 34. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will For my sake, we'll find it. Almost sounds like God has something against families. What's going on here? The sword that Jesus brought is the word of God. And that word is received or rejected. The word of God separates believers from unbelievers, even within families. The challenge for us is to resist adjusting our interpretation of the word of God to make the tent big enough to keep our whole family in it. That would be loving our family members more than Christ. We need to judge sin without judging people and work toward forgiveness and restoration rather than overlooking the sin because it's my child or my parent it's not easy but it is the way of Christ our first allegiance is to Jesus Christ and so there is another reason that Jesus came to prepare for judgment and the resurrection of Jesus will affirm did affirm his authority to judge The fifth category is probably as difficult to process as the one we just looked at, and that is to bring glory to the Father. At first, it sounds perfectly reasonable and not at all problematic, but let me read for you a few scriptures to show you what I mean. In Isaiah chapter 43, verses 5 to 7, we read, Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. What we get from this is that we were created by God to bring glory to God. That's our purpose. God is not our servant to save us for our good. We are his servants that we might serve him for his glory. Even the ungodly bring glory to God in the sense that they prove God true in his judgments. We are not the center of attention here. It is God who gets the attention It is God who gets the glory. There's a passage in Ezekiel that really strikes at the heart of human pride, that views us at the center of the universe. Comes from Ezekiel chapter 36. And I'll read from verse 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good. And you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. The restoration of this passage speaks about Israel. It's for Israel. At that time, when this was prophesied, Israel was in captivity, exiled in Babylon, and God was promising to restore But this passage easily transfers, and I think it applies even more so for the people of God today. It is not because of any merit on our part that God acts. It is not because God thinks we're so special that God saves us from our sin. We often think that he saves us for our sake, that he loves us so much that he couldn't possibly abandon us. Let's be clear. God would do no wrong in leaving us in our sins and allowing us the punishment we deserve. We have earned it. God saves people to vindicate his name. God cares about his glory and the reputation of his name. He must prove to be the God that he is so that that all will recognize that he alone is God over all when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is not to say that God does not love us. He loves us beyond our capacity to imagine it. And this is not to say that we are not important to God. We bear his image. He made us for a reason, He knows us intimately and individually and we are important to him for he sent his son to die for our sins and restore us to the father's house. But that God is understood to be God and to be glorified before all the earth is of primary importance to God. In Leviticus, when Israel begins to... uh, observe the laws that God has given them for ritual worship. <clears throat> there's a marvelous scene there where the offerings um, are performed exactly according to the instructions God gave. Um, there's a whole process for, for purifying the priesthood and for giving everybody their place and their role, and then they, then they do it for the first time. And I want to read, read that to you. Because God is pleased with their obedience and he displays his glory to the people. So that's in Leviticus chapter 9 at verse 23. Just read a few verses here. Or I'll start at 22. Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings... And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when the people saw it, they shouted and they fell on their faces. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron... Each took his censor and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord before the Lord which he had not commanded them and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord Then Moses said to Aaron this is what the Lord has said Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. When Jesus offered up his life on the cross, and when he rose from the dead, the name of God was glorified and magnified and lifted up. So this was another reason that Jesus came to earth to bring glory to the Father. And he did it in his whole earthly life, but it culminated with his death and resurrection. So when Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem, we understand that he came with purpose. He came to save people from their sins, which happened on the cross. He came to give people eternal life, which happens because of the resurrection. He came to bear witness to the truth, and he he was proved true by rising from the dead. He came to prepare for judgment. His resurrection affirms his authority to judge. And he came to bring glory to the Father, which he did in accomplishing all these things through his death and resurrection. If you're listening today and are not fully convinced, all of this can be verified with evidence. When John the Baptist sent his disciples to ask Jesus if he was the one they were waiting for or if they should wait for another, Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up and the poor have the good news preached to them. Jesus was telling them to look at the evidence. Are you the one? Look at the evidence. We too, today, can look at the evidence. Before his crucifixion, Jesus said to his disciples, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. The human Jesus had no control over any of these events but they happened exactly as he said and then he rose from the dead your life matters to God he loves you he has paid the penalty for your sin and he will give you eternal life your part is to receive the gift and believe him as we consider Jesus rode to the cross this spring set aside time to think about the things that he accomplished. Jesus did not come without purpose, and all those purposes were fulfilled by his death and resurrection. It's no wonder then that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. Praise God that he did. Hallelujah. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ whom you sent to to become like us and through that incarnation was able to fulfill every requirement for the plan of salvation and every purpose for which you sent him. What a marvelous thing. Thank you for it. We give you praise. And would you impress these marvelous things into our minds as we think about them. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Stand for a closing song, number 167, When I Survey. And then after that, Pastor Victor will close with a benediction.
2: with me and receive this benediction to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priests who is God and father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. God bless you.